Amen. I feel like uh, the Lord has a word for us tonight. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 5 is where I want to start here. First Thessalonians 5 and 5. Felt the Lord put a particular part of this passage on my spirit this morning and uh, then as I started to look into it and study it a little bit with his direction he, he took it a different direction than what I was thinking but um, this this verse says so Paul the Apostle Paul writing this book to the church in the city of Thessalonica that's why it's called first Thessalonians he tells them you are all the children of light. You are all the children of light. Everybody that's a part of the church of Thessalonians, that's who he's addressing here. All of you in this church are the children of light. And the children of the day. We, everybody say we. So now he's collectively uh, grouping himself with the church that he's addressing. So you all and me, so we, those of us that are children of light, we are not of the night nor of darkness. Verse 6 says, Therefore, that means, for that reason, since we're not, therefore, let us not sleep as do others. Now, he wasn't telling the church no more sleeping, like you got to stay awake from now on. He's talking about the state of mind that Others, everybody say others. The state of mind that others have, which can be categorized as being asleep, don't let us have that state of mind. Don't let us have that mindset. Or I could even probably call it a lifestyle. Don't let us have that lifestyle. But there's a phrase in here that says, as do others. So he said, we, and then he said, others. Paul, you've got to understand, Paul and, and, and really the Lord, the Holy Ghost that inspired Paul to write these words has zero problem grouping people. Us, them. We, others. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing nowadays where you can't label people, you can't categorize people, you can't say, well, they, people like that. No, you'll get in trouble real fast if that's the way you want to try to talk in this modern day culture because the modern day culture says we need to be collective, we need to be... Um, we need to be understanding and tolerant of all people, of all groups, and you, you can't draw a line and say, well, everybody on this side of the line is okay, and everybody else, no. You can't do that in 2022. At least uh, not without some serious repercussions. But the Holy Ghost has no problem saying we and them, us and they, those like us, those not like us. So my question then is, uh, do I care more about being like the scripture or more like our modern day culture? And uh, it's easy to just get up here and say it in the church house while I'm talking to uh, a safe group of people, but really I need to stop, pause, and make sure that it's actually in my spirit, that my spirit says, I agree with the word of God and I stand on 
the side of the word of God anytime it makes a stance. Amen? Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. The next verse, verse 7, it says, For they that sleep, sleep in the night. Everybody say the sleepers. They that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken, everybody say the drinkers. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. Don't be like them. Be like you are supposed to be. That's what the Holy Ghost is saying here to the church in Thessalonica. Be like you're supposed to be, not like how others are. That phrase that's in verse 6, as do others, is a very key phrase, I believe. I've got a 12-year-old son. I get to pick on him tonight. He's not here. One of my children said, every time you talk, you talk about one of your kids. <laughs> it's not always the same one either. That's what makes it fun. But so... Um, not just to pick on him. He's the oldest, and he's one of the most vocal, so maybe that's why it seems like I am categorizing him this way, but it's really with all of them. But uh, the, the thing that causes me as a parent to think, don't talk like that, don't think like that, is when he starts to say, but she didn't have to do this, but he didn't have to do this. If I tell him, I want you to go brush your teeth right now, the first thing he's going to say is, why don't they have to brush their teeth? Has zero to do with them. It has everything to do with him. But in, just by the human nature aspect, <laughs> we want to say, how come I have to do this? And nobody else does. I will gladly do it if you make everybody else do it too. See, the problem is not that he has a, doesn't want to go brush his teeth. It's that he doesn't want to be the only one that has to go brush his teeth. Or whatever else. Pick up your shoes. Take out that garbage. Throw this away. Clean that up. If it's a, something with an instruction, it's not... All right, I get to do something. It's why do I have to and nobody else? It's a, it's a, it's a comparison um, mode. Why me? And I think it's, there's a lesson in there. I'm still trying to get this across to my kids. I Hopefully with the help of the Lord someday we'll get it across to them. But it's a greater lesson to all of us that says what the Lord asks of you has zero to do with anybody else. He could tell me that from this day forward I have to wear plaid shirts. And I don't get to look around and say, well, I will as long as Brother Hart gets that same uh, instruction. I'll gladly do it because we'll be the plaid brothers. But if it's just me... That doesn't sound fair. What someone else does, or seems to do, or especially seems to get away with, is of zero consequence to what you can do. I need you to think about that for a minute. Because so much of our lives we want to pattern off of how things work for other people. They get to get one of these, I get to get one of these. They don't have to do that, I don't have to do that. Trust me, whatever's working in them is for them. 
and not for you. I don't go to a, 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 an antique car show and think, all these, guys, all these guys get to own an antique car. Where's mine? I wouldn't go to a basketball game and say, they're all seven feet tall. Where's my other foot? That's not fair. Right? But it, it's a mentality that gets into a person that says, I'm going to judge me based on other people. The only time, I, I, I'll phrase this, through my study that I've done in this realm, the only time I can see in Scripture that you use other people as a comparison is to not do what other people are doing. Don't be like them. Not try to be like them. Or they get away with it so you can too. Understand? Let me read that again. The only time you are to use others as a comparison is to not do what they are doing. You don't use them as a safety measure or a benchmark. Everybody say benchmark. Let me read you the definition of a benchmark. It is something that serves as a standard by which others may be measured or judged. Something that serves as a standard by which others can be measured or judged. If you want to move into Yakima and open a car wash, you're, the first thing you're going to do is try to figure out what all the other car washes are doing. And I'm talking like business-wise. Are they making good money or are they making zero money? Are they somewhere in between? If they're at this, that's the benchmark. So now I have something to determine my success off of. And that, and that becomes the thing that I strive for, to at least meet that, but hopefully even surpass that. In, in business, Benchmark is actually even a verb. It's something you do. You benchmark. You say, last year we made this. This year we have to at least make that if we want to keep all the expenses we had last year. But we'd love to make even more. But last year or, or last quarter or last, two years ago, whatever, that's the benchmark. That's where we set a mark and say we're going to measure current and future success off of that benchmark. I believe what the Lord would want to show us tonight is the problem with benchmarks. Setting a goal such as the thing you're going to judge your success off of. It's the thing that you compare yourself to. Here's a few areas in which we set benchmarks, or maybe, maybe questions we would ask, things to consider. What others think of me? I want my reputation. I want the way that other people see me and think of me. I want it to be better than you fill in the blank. Maybe it's six months ago me. Maybe it's five years ago me. I, 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 I want to be better, and I want them to think that I'm better than what I was. Here's another one. What others think of themselves. He thinks this about himself, so that becomes my goal for me to think that about myself or him. I, he's set a standard, or she's set a standard, and now we collectively will try to live up to that standard. That's the new benchmark.
I'm going to give you a passage. If you're, if you're writing or taking notes, write down these verses. I don't want to read them all for the sake of time tonight. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 8 through 18. In this passage, Brother Timothy, you can put up verse 12 there, 2, Timothy, uh, 2 Corinthians 10 and 12. This is a pretty well-known verse, I think, kind of a standalone verse. But in, the, in, in this chapter that he's writing to the church in Corinth, he's reminding them of how he measures his success. And it's not what else is going on around you. It's not what somebody new that might be preaching something different comes in and says and, and to what degree they are met with success or failure. He says, I don't look at that. We don't look at that. Especially even with the churches. You know, inside of church culture, if I can just talk about this for just a moment. Inside of church culture, there is a thing called competition. Now, I said inside of church culture. I didn't say inside of Christ. Inside of church culture, there's competition that says, oh, the Lord wants me to have the best church. The Lord wants me to attend the best church. The Lord wants me to have the thing that I am most proud of. And if you're the minister, what comes along with that is pressure. And then I put pressure on myself to compete with those around me. I need to do this. I want to do that. We should have this. We got to have that. If we want to be like, or if we want to be better than, or if we want to be just as good as, and this, this measure of competition very easily gets into the church. And before you know it, we're measuring ourselves with all other kinds of measurables besides what's right. This is the, this is the, the mindset in which he writes this verse. Paul says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. There are people out there that like to go around talking about how good they're doing. <laughs> don't let me, don't, don't make me get stuck on this. There's people that like to go around and talk about how good they are doing. Oh man. The Lord has showed me this and that. And I've talked to him and her, and I shared this, that's all great, I'm glad that's working for you, but why do you feel like you have to tell every person that? Because you're commending yourself. Because you're worried if you don't do it, nobody's going to do it, and somebody needs to be talking about how great you're doing. Oh, I'm not trying to be mean, okay? Understand. But he says there are those out there that commend themselves. Why? Because uh, it's not unlike the Pharisees. They love to be heard for their much speaking. That's what he said about the Pharisees. If I'm not going to talk about me, nobody's going to talk about me. So I need somebody to talk about me, so I'll do it. Just saying. Or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves, and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. I'll tell you why. This is going to be a, a simple and, and a silly uh, uh, example, but it's a play, it, it'll get the point across. I have had zero Twinkies today. Yes! I ate 10 yesterday, not really, but I ate 10 yesterday and I decided I need to do a little better. So I haven't eaten any today. Yes. 
Well, you know, but the fact that I ate 10 yesterday and zero today means I could do five tomorrow, and that's a lot like only eating half. So I'm going to eat five tomorrow, and I'll be good. So I ate five the next day. Whew. I remember a time I was eating 10. I've cut that in half. I'm doing great. I wonder if I can go for four. The next day I, I ate four. Right. I am mastering this. It's a silly example, but it's what happens when I set the goal. They measure themselves by themselves. Here's another one. Brother so-and-so has eaten six Twinkies this week, and I've ate zero. So I am doing better than him. No. Measuring yourselves among yourselves. <laughs> I'm not going to get stuck on that, but I need you to get that. Our only, okay, let's go to verse 18 there. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Another translation says, for it is when the Lord thinks well of us that we are really approved, not when we think well of ourselves. And he says it between verse 12 and verse 18. I'm going to try to paraphrase this for you. He says, our only measuring is, this is how we measure ourselves. Of the work that God has set for us, how much of it has been accomplished? The work that he decided, he set the goal. He set the measure. And my question is, am I meeting the goal that he set? That's what he tells the churches in those other verses. He's writing this. Apparently there was some competition going on in Corinth, and Paul got wind of it, and he was saying, don't let what other people are trying to convince you to compare and measure, don't let that get into your spirit. Don't let that get into the church. I don't care about who started a new church on that block over there. I don't care about who came in and started reaching people with a other doctrine. My concern is you stay away from that because you know it's not true. And then you find what God does wants you to do and you do that. <coughs> Our only measure is Am I doing what God wants me to do? Others make up their own standards and then judge themselves by those standards. Uh, I hope you accept this and receive this in the spirit that I'm giving it. Let's say we have roughly 30 people here tonight. I haven't counted, but it's probably somewhere in that neighborhood. If I set the goal next Tuesday, I want to see 60 people in here. Hear me? If I set the goal, next week I want to see 60 people in here. And we have 59? Sure, we'll be glad. We'll rejoice about that. That'd be awesome. Maybe, if the Lord wants them to be here. But I, will, I walk away saying, well, we didn't meet the goal. Let's try harder. Now, if the Lord said, you need to take up this effort and try to get these people here, I'm good with that. We'll follow it all to the, to the best that we can with his help. He hasn't. But if I say I set the goal, next Tuesday I want 60 people in here, and we get 60 people. Think about what's going to happen for a moment. We're going to commend ourselves 
Just saying. We're going to commend ourselves to for meeting the goal that we set for ourselves. Now I know, I know, and I, I, I feel it here even in this room with this group. There's this, there's this tenseness that happens when you start talking about numbers because you, some would think every number is a soul and every soul is important. Yes, I completely agree with every number is a soul and every soul is important, but I want the souls that the Lord wants. I, I, did, I thought I was going to use this last Sunday, and I didn't. But I, I'll say it right now. I've heard many preachers say this. The gospel, the gospel message only works on the hungry and the thirsty. It doesn't work on everybody. Those that hunger and those that thirst, that's who the gospel works for. So if they're not hungry and thirsty... I don't want him in here eating our mints because I buy those. I'm just joking. That's a, that's a very carnal analogy for you. But the, the point is we want to reach, we want to be led by God to reach those that he would lead us to, that the gospel is going to work at the time, the appointed time that he has set. Have all the mints you want. I don't care about that. This idea, this is not a new thing. Brother Timothy, Psalms chapter 73, if you'll go there. I, I, I call this an idea comparison shopping. David faced this same comparison shopping, what I'm calling it. He writes about it in Psalm chapter 73 here. Now, I, I want to show you some of these verses, and I'll read them in the King James. Some of, a few of them I'm going to read in the different translation. I'm going to try to make it easy to follow here. But the, uh, we're talking about the problem with benchmark. When you look at somebody else and say, I'm going to measure myself against that. I'm going to compare me or mine to them and theirs. Psalm 73, verse 2. He says, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Or in other words, I had nearly lost confidence that the Lord is good, my faith was almost gone. Verse 3, here's why. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He says, because I was jealous of the proud when I saw that things go well for the wicked. The prosperity, that means things going well for them. I saw... Things going well for wicked people, and I almost lost my confidence in the Lord because of what I was seeing. Everybody still with me? It's the idea of comparing, measuring yourselves against others. And this is David we're talking about, by the way. Verse 4. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. Another translation says, They do not suffer pain, and they are strong and healthy. They just, man, they got it all together. They don't have any problems. They just prosper. The wicked is who we're talking about. David says, I see the wicked with no problems, no pain. Strong, healthy bodies. How is that happening? Verse 5. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. All right. Got to pause for a second because we're getting the understanding that David is being very 
subjective in his perception. Because I guarantee you at the time that he wrote this, there were men locked up in prison somewhere. But where are his eyes? His eyes are on the wicked that are prospering. I guarantee you at the time that he wrote this, there were those suffering with sickness and disease. But what was his focus? His focus was, why aren't they all sick? Why aren't they all in jail? How are some still getting rich? Just, just saying. This is not my words. This is his words. Okay? They're not in trouble. They aren't plagued like other men. Verse 8. Furthermore, they are corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. Or, in other words, they laugh at other people and speak of evil things. I could talk for the rest of this night about the filth that spews out of wicked people's mouths, but I don't feel like that would be very productive right now. Just, he's saying, I'm aware of it. I hear the things they say. I, I hear the way they talk, the kinds of things that, that they communicate about. It's filthy, it's wicked. They're corrupt people. Yet this is happening for them. Verse 11. And it's not just that. They're not just talking about bad things. They bring God into the picture. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? They're openly mocking the Lord and saying, he won't ever find out anyways. He doesn't know. Dare saying go, they go as far as to say he doesn't even exist. Tell you what, the person who gets most offended by the mocking is, uh, of the Lord is the person that's closest to the Lord. Just do with that what you will. Okay? But we know David was close to the Lord. If, we, if you want to go there, we'll go there. He heard Goliath mocking the Lord in front of all of God's army. And he said, you can, you can talk about me and my brother that way all day long, but you cannot talk about the Lord that way. I'm not going to let it happen. That's young David. That's little David. This is big David that we're reading about here. But already, little David wasn't going to let it happen. He stood, he, he, he stood against that. You know the story, David and Goliath. He put an end to it in that scenario. But here he is years later, and he knows it's still going on all over the area, all over the place. People are still openly mocking, my God. Saying he's not going to know, saying he's not going to find out, saying he's not aware. It's not sitting well with me, Lord. Verse 12. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Remember what he said at the beginning in verse 2. My feet almost slipped. I almost lost my faith because of all this happening. They increase in riches. Mm, 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 mm. I tell you what, I tell you what, it better never get into the heart of a child of God that you need the same riches that this world seems to have. Furthermore, it better not ever get into the heart of the child of God that you need to do the things that this world is doing to get the same riches that they seem to have. I've watched people that I knew personally say, Jesus isn't getting me rich. I'm going to try this guy's method. It's what happens when your focus is on the prosperity of the wicked. 
I can live like they're living, still love Jesus, but live like they're living, have all the things they have by achieving it through their methods. Don't worry, Jesus. I, I, I'm still going to love you, but I could use my own private jet. I wonder how often the Lord's sitting up there in his throne saying, could you really use your own private jet? Where are you going to get the gas money? Well, uh, I'll sell the jet, and then I'll have the gas money. All right, but then you won't have the jet. He just, uh, no, no, it doesn't work that way. Everything that they do and everything that they pursue will come to nothing. I'm getting ahead of David here. But this is what happens. He just sees prosperity. He sees increase. He sees gain, wealth, health on all the corrupt, on all the wicked. And he's thinking, Lord, I, uh, you know how much I love you. You know how much I trust you. And, 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 and you know how hard it is for me to question you. But I'm questioning you. Because why are you not doing to them the things you've told me you would do to me? I'm getting back to my son again. Why do you tell me to do this and you don't tell them to do it? That's the attitude David has underlying tone here in his writing. All right? He's a man. He's human like us. But he's really sharing wisdom. He's, he's giving us a glimpse of his attitude and his frame, his frame of mind and frame of reference was, next verse, this is where it is. Verily, verse 13, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. Or in other words, he says, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? How come I'm the only one that has to wash my hands? How, co oh, how come I'm the only one that can't listen to that most popular band right now? It's an attitude. It's an attitude that comes from focusing on other things. Self at the center of those other things. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? Verse 14. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Verse 16, skip ahead. He says, when I thought to know this, I tried to think this problem through. It was too painful for me. It was too difficult for me. I, I, the more I pondered on it, the worse off I got internally. I'm feeling the pain and the, the, the difficulty of weighing these things. It's not doing me well. It's, it's harming me. It's harming my peace. It's harming my trust in the Lord. It's harming my faith to, to keep thinking about how they're getting away with it and I'm not. Or I couldn't if I tried. Too painful for me. Verse 17 He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. I, don't, I, I didn't think about their end. I thought about their present. I thought about just their immediate future. They, they're just going up and up and up and up and up and up. All I see is the up. All I foresee is more up. 
He says, but then I understood their end. This is the thing that kept my feet from slipping. This is the thing that kept me from losing my confidence. Now, I can't ignore the fact that he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Not like, oh, it just hit me upside the head all of a sudden, and I remembered. No. I got myself into the place that I should be. Oh, I just feel like shouting about that for a minute. I get myself where I need to be, and I start thinking the way I should. That's right. It's the presence of the Lord. The sanctuary represents the presence of the Lord. I get outside the presence of God, and I get outside all my right thinking. Here's what he says. As he, as he understands their end. Verse 18. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. That up and up and up and up and up is a very slippery place to be. You put them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. Indeed, you put them in slippery places, you make them fall into ruin. Verse 19. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment. Everybody say a moment. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. They are instantly destroyed. They go down to a horrible end. I, can, I considered their end. I understood the way things are going to end for them. And you know what? It ends with terrors. Horrible. Terror. Fear. Dread. Worry. That's how things end for them. Now, I don't think, I, I probably have thought this before, but as I'm examining the scriptures, I don't see David getting justified like, sweet, they finally got what was coming to them. That's the attitude that he started with. Are you ever going to punish them? Mm, I've heard my children say that to me about other children. My other children. Are you going to get her in trouble? You're going to let her get away with that. No, I know what's coming. I don't have to share it with you. There is no, there is no contractual obligation between me as the parent and you as the child for me to tell you everything I'm going to do for all of my other children. Yes, I said all of my other children. I got five. You don't have to know. You don't always get to know. But if it's your attitude, uh, uh, no, the last one I want to tell is the one that's going to feel justified in his thinking or her thinking. Because that's what follows after it. And that'll bug me just as much, if not more. You finally got what was coming to you. Uh-uh, that's not, I said it, that's the way that D David's attitude was at the beginning. But watch this turn. Verse 20, almost done. As a dream, when one awakeneth, so, Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Hear, hear this verse in the other translation. They are like a dream that goes away in the morning when you wake up, Lord, and they disappear. That is how quickly. You ever heard this phrase in the moment of a twinkling of an eye? That's how quickly they meet their end. And their end is terror, torment. 
like when you wake up from a dream and that life is over, that's how their life will be over. The Lord gave David this understanding. Yes, I know they are living this way right now. There's a scripture that says life is a vapor. And it's not just, you know, a threat like you don't have enough time. No, life is a vapor for the wicked that are prospering just as much. And whew, it's gone. When the Lord decides this is over, this dream is over. Verse 20, let's keep reading. I want you to see what he says there. 21. Thus my heart was grieved. Not I felt justified, I felt great because they got what was coming to them. No, my heart was grieved when I realized all these people living in dreamland here on earth, when the Lord decides... It's over. It's over. That doesn't thrill me. That grieves me. That's what David says. I had a complete shift in my thinking towards the wicked that are prospering. At first, my thinking was, they get everything and I get nothing. But... My thinking changed to they get nothing. And I already have everything. Verse 27. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. They that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a whoring from thee. Another translation says, Those who abandon you will certainly perish. You will destroy those who are unfaithful to you. Verse 28. But it is good for me to draw near to God. The further away I get from you, the more likely I am to be those that have gone away from you that perish. The closer I get to you, the more you're going to hold my hand. He says it in one of those other verses. The more you're going to hold my hand, lead me, and keep me by your side. When that dream life is over and the real thing starts, I'm going to be with you. I have put my trust in the Lord God. that I may declare all thy works. How wonderful to be near God. You can stand with me. I'm about to come to a close here. Why don't we just pray before we go further? Lord, I thank you. I thank you for keeping me close to you, Jesus. Thank you for this opportunity that I have to be in your presence right now, Father. Thank you for holding me close by your side. Thank you for saving me, Lord God, in the times that my faith was waning. Thank you for saving me, Lord Jesus. Thank you for showing me the truth, Lord God for revealing to me what I need to know and for opening my understanding. I'm thankful for it, Lord Jesus. I'm thankful for it, Lord Jesus. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is the last thing I want to mention. Because I said that this is not a new thing and David faced it in what I call comparison shopping. I had to look that up because I knew I heard that term a lot, but I didn't really know what it means. So this is what it means. This comes from a, a financial type of website. So you put your own definition to it if you want, if you don't like this one. Comparison shopping is the art of casting a wide net and finding the store or retailer with the lowest possible price for the thing you want. Most of us probably have seen it if you ever use Google or something like that. You need to buy a new hammer or you need to buy a new can opener and you Google can opener. You're going to see about five or ten listings at the top. This one's got one and it's this price. This one's got one and it's this price. This one's got one and it's this price. If you're like me, you kind of think, well, I need one right now because I got something I need to open. I don't have time to wait for Amazon. I don't have time to wait for whatever else. How much is Walmart's? How much is Target's? Oh, Walmart's is $3 cheaper. Good, I'm on that side of town. And I'll go get that one. The question that I felt that raised was, do people do this with God? Or religion? Or churches? Or faiths? Cast the widest net possible to find the lowest possible price. The thing that is going to require the least from me. The lowest possible price for the thing that I want. That's all, that's really what is the problem. It's the thing that I want. I'm not, nowhere in that equation has it even entered what does he want. I don't mean to be rude or, or cruel with this statement, but for the majority of Christians, it makes me wonder, has it ever entered into their life? What does he want? What does he want? I know what he wants for me. He wants me to be saved. He wants me to spend eternity with him. That's the thing that he wants. Now he's willing to put me through whatever it takes for me to get the thing that he wants. But I don't know that I'm always willing to go through everything that it takes. I don't know that I'm willing to pay the price of all that it might take to get where he wants me to be. No, 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 no. I like that one church that says all you got to do is pray this and then you got 50 more years of living however you want. That sounds like a pretty low price. I think I'm willing to pay that price. I got a Sunday coming up that I can spare. Let's make that our prayer. Lord, what do you want from me? God, I know that you will lead me and that you will guide me if I seek after you. God, because I know the scripture says that you reward those that diligently seek you. Father, I believe that with all of my heart. God, I want to be one that diligently seeks after you. Jesus, I'm willing to give you my time. I'm willing to give you my energy, my efforts, Lord Jesus. I'm willing to lay it down at your feet, Lord God, and surrender it to you. God, I'm not trying to just give you the least bit possible. 
God, I'm not just trying to scrape by into a little bit of a relationship with you. God, but I want to be close to you. I want to be close to you, Jesus, to know your voice, to know your ways, to know your direction, Lord Jesus. I want to be close to you every day of the week, Lord God, not just on a church day or an evening, Lord Jesus, but every day of the week, I want to be close to you. I want to know that my life, God, is in your hands. I want to know that my life belongs to you, Jesus, and that you can take it, you can use it, you can mold it and shape it how it needs to be. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, God, I leave it in your hands right now. I leave it in your hands, Lord Jesus. Come on, I want you to find a place to pray right now. I know the Lord's here. He's moving. We're going to let him have his way. If you want to come stand in the front, that's fine. But wherever, I need you to, to take some time and pray. We're not just brushing past to finish this. Lord Jesus, I'm seeking after you right now. God, I give you all of me. Jesus, I give you all of me. I give you all of my life, God. Everything that I have, Lord, it belongs to you. Everything that I own, Lord Jesus, I only have it because you've allowed me to have it. Jesus, it all belongs to you. I'm returning it all back to you right now, God. I give you my life, Lord Jesus. I give you my mind, Lord God. I pray that you would teach me. I pray that you would instruct me, Lord Jesus. I'm not just trying to follow instructions from men or from a doctrine or a rule book, Lord God, but I'm wanting to follow you. Jesus, I'm wanting to follow you. I know that you won't leave me. I know that you won't forsake me, Lord Jesus. Even in a trial, even in a hard time, God, I know that you won't forsake me. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, God, I surrender my life to you. God, I surrender my life to you. In the name of Jesus, God, I thank you for being willing to save me. I thank you for being willing, Lord, to put in that time, Jesus, to share that word. God, to lead me in your path. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus that you would do that for me. I want to hear your voice, Father, and know that it is your word. I want to hear your voice, Lord. Know that I'm walking in your ways. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yes, God. Yes, God. Have your way in me, Lord. Have your way in me, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I'm seeking after you, Father. I'm seeking after you, Lord Jesus. Ha ha ha, 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 
We need to let His Word be the guide. We need to let His Spirit be the guide. Lord, I'm not looking for other ways to accomplish Your will. I'm not looking for other standards to measure myself by. Lord, but I'm trusting that Your Word will be the lamp to my feet, the light to my path, God. I'm trusting, Lord Jesus, that You will lead me. God, that you will lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. God, I'm trusting that you would lead and guide me into all truth, Lord. In the name of Jesus, God, I don't just want to compare myself with others, Lord, with other individuals, with other groups. Lord, I'm not trying to compare. God, I'm not trying to be critical in my spirit. God, but I need to be close to You. I need to know what is the truth, O oh God. I need to know that I'm walking in Your ways. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yes, God, whatever You ask of me. Lord, whatever You ask of me. Jesus, I'm willing to follow as You lead. I'm willing to follow as you lead me, Lord Jesus. I place my life in your hands, O oh God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yes, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I say yes to your will, Lord. I say yes to your will, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, God, I say yes to you. In the name of Jesus. I don't want to have a comparative spirit, Lord. I don't want to have a competitive spirit, Lord, that wouldn't be from you. Jesus, I just want to follow as you lead. Jesus, I just want to follow, O oh God, to accomplish your will, to measure myself against your will for my life. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. The scripture says there is one that judgeth. There's one that judgeth. And how he how he judges it, we get glimpses of that in the scripture many times. I heard a I heard a uh, minister use this example, this visual I felt was very accurate. He said it would be it would be um, logical, I guess, at the end of time for when I meet Jesus, the one that judgeth, for him to show me a chart or a diagram of his plan for my life. I had you starting here, I had you ending here and accomplishing these things and in between. It would be accurate for him to show me that and then him show me the actual. Here's where you actually did what you did. Now that comparison is a valid comparison that I need to be aware of and concerned with. That's exactly what Paul said. We measure ourselves by his goal for us 
his call for us. That's how I measure myself. I want to do what he wants me to do. Amen? Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things shall be added to you. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus, we want to follow after you. Hallelujah. Amen. I thank you for being here tonight. Letting the Lord minister to us. I'm going to encourage you to greet one another before you go. And you're dismissed. Amen.